Well, good morning, LCM. Today is September 19th. It is so good to be here with you this morning. Yeah. We have the Carters back in the house. Come on now. Now, if you've seen the news this week, it is possible that you might have expected us, your, your fearless leaders, your pastors, to be on a beach vacation this weekend. Oh, yeah. The leader of the free world, the leader of the free world seems to love to administrate crises and successfully solve difficult problems by retreating to a beach house somewhere in Rehoboth, Delaware. We'd like to show you, let's jump right into scripture today. We're going to go into Genesis 10. We have a slide for you to help you to know about Genesis 10 on the screen. It says this, Cush was the father of Nimrod who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter hmm. before the Lord. That is why it is said like Nimrod, a yeah. mighty hunter. Everybody say hunter, hunter before the Lord. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Uruk, Akkad, Kalne, and Shinar. By the way, that's perfect pronunciation. From that land, he went on to Assyria, where he built Nineveh, Rehoboth, and Kala. Pastor, did, did you just say mighty hunter? I did. I did you in did. fact say that. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. I went totally Biden blank on you for a minute. I got lost. I was actually daydreaming about selling my artwork to Chinese officials for just millions of dollars there for a minute. I'm rather proud of Matthew because I also went to a daydream, but... It wasn't as innocent as his. I was thinking of a serious smoke. Like I'm talking about some really good stuff. A cigar, I mean. It's not yeah. like I'm going to smoke a crack pipe on a video call. That's true. Look, we are sure that it's just coincidental that the town's name that the leader of the free world is hanging out in comes from the Bible. Its first mention is in Genesis 10 that we just read as being one of the centers of operation for Nimrod. Everybody say Nimrod. Nimrod. Now we know what you're thinking. I mean, we got it. Yeah. Nimrod is a paragon of virtue. Yeah. Clearly. The quintessential bastion of godly character and an excellent example for what the world needs in a leader. No? no. no? Okay, well, okay. well, like we said, let's not get caught up in trivial coincidences here today. Let's not quibble. No, no, no. You know, during these difficult days of the tyrant variant of the COVID virus. Yeah, that's been going around. Yeah, spreads like wildfire. All that is important is that we just shut up and obey what our benevolent Biden government masters have told us what to do. It's true. I'm not sure why so many of you look confused about this matter. This is exactly what our powerful pansy pulpits keep telling us what Romans 13 says. Again, let's not waste our time properly interpreting the Bible. We need to get on to other things. Oh, yeah, more, more important things. Yeah. We have to figure out how to transform our previously capitalistic society into a perfect socialist utopia. The good thing is we are going to have that opportunity. $3.5 trillion are being considered for that truly noble goal. Let's make sure that none of us, say it with me, none of us, none of us, 
are found to be skeptical no. or suspicious of the government's ability to wisely spend and properly account for this kind of funding. Yeah. I mean, it's not like they're just biding time or hanging around, vacationing. Those guys are clearly working hard. Yeah, this is so true. It, it shows by the noble goals that are being accomplished in Del Rio, Texas right now. At least Del Rio, Texas, assures us that we are completely able to secure our borders from all foreign threats. Yeah. I mean, we can even yeah. shut down the FAA flight clearances so that damaging drone footage of the tens of thousands of illegal immigrants are not viewed crossing our borders. I mean, this is a real sign of robust border security that we should really all be very encouraged by today. I'm just really proud of the government for naming the town in Spanish for us. That way, immigrants from all over the world, legal or not, at least know all I got to do is get to the river. <laughs> I mean. Look, that's not the only thing we should be encouraged by, pastors. We can all take heart with how well things are going in Afghanistan. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. In fact, look, just the other day. I was imagining, I was dreaming of Black Hawk helicopters being towed by camels. Yeah. I mean, why not? If you can't fly the things, then at least you can just use the weaponry that's mounted on them while the camels provide the means of propulsion through the actual sand. It's just logic. I don't know. You and I are just in total sync today because I, too, was having a daydream moment. Ooh. It, it, it's... Wasn't a Black Hawk helicopters though. My vision was of a C-130 air transport, and it was taxiing on the ground. Yeah. No, n not on a runway like you might think. It was it was crossing the vastness of the Afghani deserts, and it was bringing our American citizens home, all the way home, on the ground. It could happen. I mean, I find this kind of thing very confidence building yes. in our government. Yes. Look, all joking aside, uh, we shouldn't get terribly caught up in all these things. Tim LaHaye has assured us that we will all be caught up and raptured before anything serious happens. It's not like we are seeing an actual battlefield that is shaping right before our very eyes. Well, it's true. You know, Pastor, I really, I don't know who Tim LaHaye is. I thought he was a sex therapist working for Zondervan back in the 70s. And it appears that uh, you seem to think he's an expert in the field of eschatology. Nobody could take that seriously, could they? No. That is the, that's not the kind of stuff that you write books about or even make movies in regard to. Nah. Nobody could be deceived by something like that, could they? If I'm honest, I forgot who Tim LaHaye was around the time of the publishing of the Left Behind series. Which, oddly, in our time, could be a commentary on the Afghanistan effect in the world. Could be. But I do know that we are seeing the shaping of a battlefield. Yeah. Last Wednesday, somebody say Wednesday. Wednesday. Was both Yom Kippur, the Holy Day of Atonement, and the one-year anniversary of the signing of the Abrahamic Accords, which probably have no bearing on 1 Thessalonians 5.3. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. No correlation there of any kind. None. 
The fact that Israel is considering selling the Iron Dome technologies that they possess to Saudi Arabia, I mean, the esteemed home of the Kaaba, Mecca, and Medina, and the historic home of Islam, that probably has nothing to do with Isaiah 28, 18. I mean, how could it? Your covenant with death will be annulled. Your agreement with the grave will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge sweeps by, you will be beaten down by it. Nothing to see there. No parallels to be made. The fact that last week Israel met with Egypt solely to discuss their need for mutual defense against Iran and Hamas probably has no bearing on the 11th chapter of Daniel and the king of the south. I mean, no reason to look into those kind of things. Look, there is one thing that we can be completely confident about. You ready? We can be completely confident in the Biden administration that they know what they're doing when they remove the U.S. missile defense system from Saudi Arabia so that the historic enemies of Israel can form a covenant with them for mutual safety and security. You can be confident of that because we can all trust for sure that Islam will keep their word, that they'll lay aside every edict that the Quran lays out and that the Islamic world holds dear, and they'll start deeply caring for the well-being of worldwide Jewry. You should be confident of that. Pastors, we're all going to have to uh, deeply consider the serious, serious levels of sarcasm. Oh, we're, yeah, we, I guess we yeah, were being sarcastic. Yeah. The serious levels of sarcasm that we are swimming in for these last few minutes. Church, we are in a war. We are the spoils of war. We're learning military movement, and as Paul said, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil. These are the days when the body of Christ must become well acquainted with each of the metaphors that Paul uses to describe the Christian life. Some may prefer to think of themselves as athletes running a race. Others prefer to think of themselves as farmers working to cultivate the king's harvest. These are all completely appropriate and, somebody say and, and, and so is the soldier. We have felt led over the last few weeks to utilize military language and imagery precisely because so few Christian voices today understand or implement this biblical imagery to equip the body of Christ. The fact is that in 2 Timothy 2, the soldier is Paul's first choice to describe what the kingdom is all about. Look, there are some very good reasons for Paul to have chosen the image of a soldier for us as Christians. We want you to consider this passage. We'll read it to you. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 3. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Clearly, soldiers are a different segment of society with different concerns. Yeah. So is every real Christian. Amen. What's clear is that we are in the world, but we are not of the world. Our concerns are different than the average worldly consumer that's out there. Secondly, Clearly, a soldier's preeminent concern is to please his commanding officer. So is every real Christian. 
We are not self-directed. We're not self-governed. And we are certainly not sinfully self-reliant. We depend on a structure, not unlike the very military itself, to receive heavenly orders, to authenticate those orders, but most importantly, to carry out those orders that he gives us. Amen. Today's message is called the seventh stage of military movement. We're going to work at this message a little differently than you're used to. You will not be wowed and amazed by the most prolific alliterations that you've ever heard. We will not be taking the time to work military language into every ancient Hebrew passage of Scripture. No, we have an entirely different task before us and before you this morning. We're going to make the association in the beginning of the message and then abandon it completely. That's all the rage these days. <laughs> Trusting in you enough that you are able to draw from the imagery we lay out without having to be reminded of it in every verse. Clearly, we have great faith in you. We know that you'll be able to accomplish this without us having to repetitiously reinforce it through redundant, rhythmic reiterations of revolutionary revelation. <laughs> Clearly, it's not because we're unable. I mean, the last sentence had seven of them. It's because we're just unwilling. On another Sunday, perhaps we'll engage in that kind of evocative enumeration that elucidates the enduring truths evident in Scripture. But we're not going to do it today. That was five more as a total of 12. It's all you get. Here is your one homiletic analogy. And then we're just going to move on. Yeah. We have a slide for you to help you with this. This slide is showing you the different rank uh, that you can achieve in the U.S. Army. Starts off at the bottom right with private and goes all the way to the top left of the image there with a five-star general. What you should be noticing on the slide here as things progress from the enlisted men to the commissioned officers at the top, you can see that every military man is in fact a soldier. Yeah. Somebody say soldier. Soldier. In the military, some soldiers are to prepare other soldiers for their works of service. The military always has soldiers who visibly lead all the others in their mission to be carried out in the world. I mean, you could examine the Roman army. You can go back and examine Alexander's Greek army. Or if you were really, really, I mean really bored, you can go back and examine the Lithuanian army. The Lithuanian army. No, you can't, yeah, find can't it. even find it. <laughs> you will always find some variation of these three groupings that are there. Every man within the community is a soldier. And then there is a group of soldiers that help to prepare other soldiers. And then there are a group of soldiers that leads the entirety of the military effort. Amen. You guys tracking with us this morning? Yeah. Even a casual reading of Deuteronomy chapter 20 places the soldiers and priests on the battlefield together. And in some cases, the priests are the ultimate soldiers chosen because the Levites were the first to pick up arms under the direction of and loyalty to the word of God above and beyond all other attachments that they had. So when you think of a priest or a soldier, understand that God's nation, which is a kingdom of priests mentioned in Exodus 19.6, has always had three levels of function within the corporate body of Israel. The body of Messiah, therefore, is no different. 
So the first one, every man is the priest of his home. Can I get an amen? Amen. First Corinthians eleven three says this. Think of private parts. Not those kind. Different kind. Secondly, God has given us priests within the body as a gift to the body. This is what clearly Ephesians 4.11 says. Think of corporal parts. Third and last, the body of Messiah corporately serves as a priest to the world. 1 Peter 2.4-5 says this. Now think of general parts. Maybe even the five-star kind of general parts. Oh, I get it now. Privates, corporals, generals. Three levels within the body of Christ. Yeah. I, I was thrown for a loop there for a minute with those private parts. <laughs> All military or priestly campaigns, they're structured in phases or strategic objectives. Think about D-Day in Normandy as a phase of World War II. Or the Tet Offensive in North Vietnam as a phase of the Vietnam War. Traditionally, the first Gulf War was divided into three stages or phases. First being Desert Shield. That was phase one, protecting your vital interest. Then came Desert Storm. That was phase two, seizing the initiative to obtain what is needed most. Then came Desert Dominate. That's a great name. That's a great name. That was phase three, completing the original objective with overwhelming success. Yeah. Now, you may not be aware of it, but God has laid out his strategic objectives in phases. Those phases are enumerated in the seven feasts of Israel that occur over a period of seven months every year. In the Hebrew calendar, right now, we happen to be in the seventh month. That month is called Tishri, and it begins with Operation Yom Teruah. Heard that? Carlos has been correcting my Yom Teruah for, for a while now. <laughs> the month begins with Operation Yom Teruah, where trumpets are blown to remind every man who is called to be a priest in his home that it's time to rededicate to that most vital interest, namely being a priest in his home. Yeah. Yeah. Could y'all use a reminder like that sometimes? Yeah. Then the next strategic objective is Operation Yom Kippur where God has given us priests within the body as a gift to help us in the initiative to obtain what is most needed, namely, recommitment to atonement. Then, the next and the last strategic objective is Operation Sukkot, where the body of Messiah enters into the completion of the original objective with overwhelming success, namely, the salvation of the world as the body of Messiah acts as a priest to the whole globe, reconsecrating it to our God and Father. That is what these seven objectives are about, and they come to culmination in the seventh month. And here, at this point in the sermon, ends our military analogies. Let's just pick up in the beginning of the book to understand the objective of everything that occurs in the seventh month. In fact... To help you out today, every scripture that we're going to read occurs in the seventh month so that you might better understand God's objective and how we all can rededicate, recommit, and reconsecrate ourselves to our commanding officer's objectives. Turn with us to Genesis chapter 8 and say seventh month as you're turning. 
You're saying seventh month because every passage from this point forward is occurring in the seventh month, and you should have the seventh month and its objective on your mind. Genesis chapter 8, we're going to look at verse 3. It says this, The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the 150 days the water had gone down, and on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Here in Genesis 8, we see the beginning of an absolutely, a brand new, a whole new world. One in which all heavenly defection and all earthly evils have been purged. Amen. The seventh month is always aimed at the reconsecration of the world unto God our Father. That is the objective that God has set forth. And ironically though, to keep you as confused as possible, no military plan starts in stage seven. The ark shows us the objective. But in Exodus, the seventh month becomes the first month of their year. This is highly significant because the first feast in the first month is Pesach or Passover. And that is the only place that you can start moving towards God's ultimate objective, which occurs in the seventh month. You have to start at the first place, which is having God's blood be atoned for you, the Passover, Pesach. See, if you want to see the world reconsecrated to our God and Father, it begins with you rededicating to the blood of the Lamb within your own home. Somebody say amen. amen. Well, pastor, it's true that uh, everybody has to reconsecrate within their own home. What you said is really profound. I think... All of them heard it, and a few of them will understand it later. It really seems that the steps of the strategic objectives are not linear from one to seven, at least not linear only. They actually form a kind of perpetual cycle of rehearsal until the final objective is completed. Doesn't matter how many revolutions we have to go around, God is not going to stop until he has accomplished what he wants. Let's pick up in 2 Chronicles 7 so that we can attempt to grasp one more revolution of the cycle displayed in the scripture in the hopes that everybody in the room will catch on. Amen. Second Chronicles 7, 1. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. See, Solomon is a Messiah-like figure. And when men recommended so that the fire for God's objective burned within them, heaven answered with fire that fell among them. Yeah. Verse 3. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, He is good. His love endures forever. Amen. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. Not only did the heavenly fire fall, but to accomplish God's objective, both the king and all, somebody say all. all, all the people had to engage in the same kind of great sacrifice before the Lord. Verse five, 
And King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 head of cattle. That's more than the boys eat in my home every weekend. And 20,000 sheep and goats. That's more than are being abused in certain countries in the world. So the king and all the people dedicated the temple of God. Verse 6 is very, very important. The priest took their positions. Say, I'm going to take my position. I'm going to take my position. The priests took their positions as did the Levites with the Lord's musical instruments, which King David had made for praising the Lord and which were used when he gave thanks, saying, His love endures forever. Opposite the Levites, the priests blew their trumpets and all the Israelites were standing. See, earthly passion was met with heavenly fire. The king and all the people engaged in great sacrifice. But still, each priest had to take up their specific position. Some here, some opposite of them. Some blowing trumpets, some standing and ministering. Every kind of priest, regardless of rank, took up his position. Even the people who you would not normally think of as a priest, but according to Exodus 19.6 are, stood in their positions. My God, church, what would happen if every man stood in his position as the priest of his home? What would happen if every member of this church stood in his position to be equipped for service as the corporate body of Messiah? Church, what would happen if every church within the body of Christ stood in their God-ordained position to be the priestly nation of God ministering to the world. Do you think maybe we could could consider recommitting to these kind of principles? Rededicating ourselves to these principles? The reconsecration of this world to our God and Father depends on exactly those things. And it is all that the Bible is aimed at. Verse 7. You ready for it? Solomon consecrated the middle part of the courtyard in the front of the temple of the Lord. And there he offered burnt offerings and the fat of the fellowship offerings. Because the bronze altar he had made could not hold the burnt offerings. The grain offerings and the fat portions. So Solomon observed the festival at that time for seven days. And all Israel with him. A vast assembly. People from Labo Hamath to the Wadi of Egypt. On the eighth day, they held an assembly, for they had celebrated the dedication of the altar for seven days and the festival for seven more days. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, it's always the seventh. That's God's objective. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people to their homes, joyful and glad in heart for the good things the Lord had done for David and Solomon and for all his people, Israel. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord in the royal palace and, ha- and he had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do. Take that phrase in for a minute. Succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do. In the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. Church, we all need to come to grips and understand something. Every one of you in this room is called to be a priest within your home. 
every one of you is a priest within this body, being led by priests that are gifts from God to you so that you will be prepared to meet God's objective. Every one of you forms a singular nation of priests that reconsecrates the world to our God and Father. These things are the objective of the seventh month. They're all that the king had in mind to do. That kind of purpose only happens when we rededicate, when we recommit, when we focus again on the reconsecration of the world to our God and Father. Amen. Look, these events are so important that they are retold all over the world. In 1 Kings 8, the same event is described in the same month, the seventh month. So everybody turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 8, and as you're turning, say seventh month. We're going to pick up with verse 1. Then King Solomon summoned into his presence at Jerusalem the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes and the chiefs of the Israelite families, to bring up the ark of the Lord's covenant from Zion, the city of David. All the men of Israel came together to King Solomon at the time of the festival in the month of Ethanim, the seventh month. Look, church, no different than soldiers marching in rank and file. Every single Israelite came in the seventh month under the direction of the king. Elders took up their position. Heads of tribes took up their position. Chiefs of families took up their position. So do you think maybe we need to rededicate our priestly positions in our homes, the church, and the world? Yeah. Let's pick up with verse 3 now. When all the elders of Israel had arrived... The priests took up the ark, and they brought up the ark of the Lord and the tent of meeting and all the sacred furnishings in it. The priests and Levites carried them up, and King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. The priests then brought the ark of the Lord's covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place. And put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark and overshadowed. Everybody say overshadowed. Overshadowed. Overshadowed the ark and its carrying poles. When we recommit to our priesthood within our home, the priesthood of the church and being priests to the world, our God overshadows our work. Oh, amen. When you hear this word overshadowed, you should think of a virgin being overshadowed. And what was once previously impossible now becomes possible. Our recommitment to soldier-like obedience in our priestly service will cause God to overshadow us with miracles that the world has not yet seen. Amen. Somebody say, I want to be overshadowed. I want to be overshadowed. This only happens when we get into our positions and yeah. we obtain the objectives of God. You'll never be overshadowed and empowered by God to go play with the trinkets in Egypt. That's true. Let's pick up now in verse 8. These poles were so long that their ends could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but not from outside the holy place. And they are still there today. 
There was nothing in the ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites after they came out of Egypt. When the priest withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And the priest could not perform their service because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled his temple. What started under the blood of the lamb during stage one of the military campaign arrives in stage seven with God's glory cloud so present that he is dwelling there with them. Amen. Somebody say glory. 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 All right, now do it in Spanish. Glory a Dios. Glory a Dios. Do it again. You didn't do it well. Do it again. Now there's meaning for folks crossing at Del Rio. There's something that they can come to other than just Americanism. <laughs> In this passage, when you see that the priest could not perform the work, don't believe for a minute that it wasn't getting done with overwhelming success. It was just the glory cloud doing the work through them because they were in their rightful positions. See, you want to be overshadowed and you want the glory cloud to be so thick that you are not doing the work. He is doing the work through Amen. you. Amen. Maybe we should think of rededicating to being priests in our home. Maybe we should think of recommitting to being the priesthood in this church and reconsecrating the world to God, our father. Come on, somebody say, that's good. See, unbelievably, 2 Chronicles 5 gives us a third retelling of the same event. Three witnesses. Three witnesses of the same event. This should let us know exactly how important the seventh month objective actually is to our Father. 2 Chronicles 5 may be telling the same story, but it adds 120 trumpeters. Yeah. Uh, these men were ablaze with heavenly fire, and they were making proclamations to all the people. Now, I know you. We know that you guys understand these things. And you may be tempted to associate that with the Feast of Pentecost in Acts 2, where there was another group of 120 that were crying out and proclaiming with heavenly fire what God had done. But see, Pentecost is stage four of the military objectives. But the only reason anyone has a Pentecostal experience is so that they can rededicate, so that they can recommit, so that they can go towards re-consecrating the entire world to our God and Father. See, a Pentecostal experience is not about your experience at all. It's about being overshadowed. It's about being filled with a glory cloud for everyone else to experience God. Not you at all. See, you know that in every war there are ups and downs, and what Solomon started eventually fell into disrepair. But God is committed to his seventh stage of military movement, so he raised up a king named Hezekiah. Turn with us to 2 Chronicles chapter 31, and we're going to start in verse 2. Somebody say, seventh month as you're turning. 2 Chronicles chapter 31 and verse 2. It says this, Hezekiah assigned the priests and the Levites to divisions, each of them according to their duties as priests or Levites, to offer burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, to minister, to give thanks and to sing praises at the gates of the Lord's dwelling. Again, we see the priests here had to rededicate, they had to recommit to the re-consecration of the world. 
And these men did it, and they did it wholeheartedly. Look at verse 3. The king contributed from his own possessions for the morning and evening burnt offerings and for the burnt offerings on the Sabbaths, new moons, and appointed feast as written in the law of the Lord. He ordered the people living in Jerusalem to give the portion due the priests and Levites so that they could devote themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain, their new wine, their oil, and even the honey, and all the, that the fields produced. They brought a great amount, a tithe of everything. The men of Israel and Judah who lived in the towns of Judah also brought a tithe of their herds and flocks and a tithe of the holy things dedicated to the Lord their God, and they piled them in heaps. They began doing this in the third month, and finished it in the seventh, seventh month. See, in the first month of the year, Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits occur. But the real work began in the third month with the heavenly fire of Pentecost, Shavuot, and carried on dil diligently until the seventh month objective was completed. After Solomon... Again, a king that we're reading about who is likened unto Messiah. He led the way in great sacrifice and the people responded by meeting him in that great sacrifice. Don't you think that's an area of Christianity that's lost? Jesus did it all. Jesus sacrificed it all. Jesus' great sacrifice. We are missing the fact that as priests, we have to match that sacrifice or the objective never gets completed. See, God's seventh month objective will never be met without us joining our king in that kind of sacrifice. Come on, that's important for us today, church. This is not a one-time offering that you can bring. This is a lifestyle that says, I see what my king has sacrificed, and I will meet him joyfully in that kind of great sacrifice. Look at verse 8. When Hezekiah and his officials came and saw the heaps, they praised the Lord and blessed his people Israel. It's the first time in history somebody saw a heap and praised the Lord. <laughs> Hezekiah, verse 9, asked the priest and the Levites about the heaps. And Azariah, the chief priest from the family of Zadok, answered, Since the people began to bring their contributions to the temple of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and plenty to spare, because the Lord has blessed his people, and this great amount is left over. See, church, what a beautiful lesson for us to learn. When we rededicate, when we recommit to the reconsecration of the world, our God will overshadow us. Miracles will happen, and there will always be plenty to spare and provisions left over for everyone. Church, do you think we need to rededicate to being priests in our own home? Recommit to the priesthood within the church? And to re-consecrate as the body of Messiah to the reconciliation of the world? Let's just be honest. You see these repetitious cycles in the Bible. Solomon falls down and Hezekiah has to get up. It never looks on the surface like we can win these battles because it seems inevitable that men will lose sight of the seventh month objective. However, the scripture tells us that when we take up our positions... He will meet us with heavenly fire and overshadow us. That he, with his mighty spirit, 
will empower us. When we join our great king in his level of sacrifice, he will make sure there is more than enough provision. Sometimes we just need a Pentecostal man working in conjunction with a Pentecostal team to help us pick that seventh month objective back up again. Haggai was such a man. I'm going to read to you from Haggai 2. On the 21st day of the uh, seventh month, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. See, Haggai was standing in his God-ordained position. But he was doing it with Zerubbabel in his God-ordained position. With Joshua in his. And even the book of Zechariah presents him standing in his God-ordained position. This is how committed God is to this seventh month objective. Every time the cycle breaks down, he raises up a spirit-filled team to change it again. What was their unified message? Look, it says in verse 3, ask them. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? How often when we're trying to do the work of God, do you hear about a previous time that was better? You know that in the days of Smith Wigglesworth, in the days of the Wesleys, in the days of some... And yet again and again and again... A team has to be raised up where everyone takes their position and they encourage the body of Christ to do the same. Well, they're in this kind of place. And in verse 4, he says, but now be strong, O Zerubbabel. I hear the Godfather in that. Like a man, (laughs) like a man. Now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land. See, every person is important to this task. Every person is treated like a priest and a soldier with a function and a job to do. Look, you're Americans. You've been taught to show up in church and tithe. And that was all that was ever required of you. We actually could care less other than your obedience what you do with your money. It's not what we want. We need you standing in your position next to us in our position so that corporately the body of Christ actually brings about the reconsecration of the world to our God and Father. It'd be easy to build a much bigger church just by requiring less of the people. We'll tell you that you're champions. If you tip God in a plate every now and then, we'll all be happy. And by the way, if you're queer, it's no problem. That is not what God has called us to. We are serious priests, a body of priests full of homes of priests, making up the corporate priest that is the body of Messiah. Look, for I am with you declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I had covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. 
Notice the position they're in looks impossible. It looks like nothing. But our great military commander will overshadow men who take up their position. And then what is impossible becomes possible again. This passage alludes to it. The Passover and leaving Egypt was stage one. But what was always being aimed at was a rededicated priesthood, recommitting to their corporate priesthood so that they could reconsecrate the world to God. This is why his spirit remains among us today. Is his spirit among us today? Yes. Yes. His spirit is among us today for this purpose. It's why we should never fear what God has laid before us. His seventh month objective is what he wants accomplished. On another day, we would tell you how Nehemiah and Ezra stood in turbulent times. They also stood during the seventh month, and the scripture declares it. It's when they rededicated the altar. We'd also tell you that they stood in the seventh month and recommitted to the word of God, reading the book of Deuteronomy from morning till evening. Some of you are sleepy after 44 minutes. Man, if you learn to take up your position like a priest, you you won't be satisfied with biblical snacks. You'll want a full meal. Amen. In the seventh month, they also were filled with strength and joy to reconsecrate the world back to God, our Father. You can read about that in Ezra 3, 1 through 6, Nehemiah 7, 73 through 8, 10. But we're not going to go through it today. On another day. We would love to tell you how Jeremiah 28 hints at the false prophet finally being vanquished in the seventh month. Or how Jeremiah 41 shows the downfall of an antichrist-like figure in the seventh month. Even leading to a flight back into Egypt. But that's not where we're going today. Today, we are going to John chapter 7. As you turn, say seventh month. John chapter 7 and verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the feast. Anyone like to guess which month this was in? Seventh. Yeah, you're great. Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who had believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Rededicating ourselves to becoming priests in our homes is good, but Not nearly enough. Recommitting ourselves to becoming the priesthood in our church is good, but not nearly enough. Aiming at the reconsecration of the world is good, but not nearly enough. Saints, we must have the heavenly fire of God. We must have the overshadowing of his presence. We must have the glory cloud powering our work in the temple. 
And we must have the proper provision from God to do it. All this comes through having his seventh month objective and standing in our priestly positions with great thirst and active pursuit for the power of his spirit to accomplish his objective. Is anybody in this house thirsty for the spirit of God? Is there anybody in the house set ablaze with heavenly fire? Is there anybody that can tell that the Lord is overshadowing you or have you overshadowed him? Look, imagine this. There is a fire that we once received. On that first day, we were filled with the Holy Ghost. That was great for then, but we need it now. We've experienced the, uh, the occurrences of his overshadowing his presence, and that's what we need now. We need his proper provision right here and right now. That's what I need. Do you need it this morning? How many of you have been baptized in God's Holy Spirit? What happened? Mm. The altar was lit in Leviticus 9 and 10. The altar was lit again at Solomon's temple. And yet yeah. Hezekiah had to do it again. And yet Haggai had to do it again. Yeah. And yet Zechariah had to do it again. And yet King Jesus says, if any man thirst. You know what happened? Somewhere along the way. We lost our position and we lost our thirst. Yeah. Is anybody in this house actually yeah. thirsty for God's yeah. objectives? Come on, what would our church look like if we rededicated, recommitted, and reconsecrated to God's purposes within our homes, within this church, and within our direction of the objective for this world? Come on now. Can you feel the Spirit of God beginning to overshadow some in this room? That that hunger is what is being stirred up. Pastor just asked an incredible question. What would our church look like if we got rededicated and recommitted yes. and reconsecrated to God's purposes in our home, in this place and in the world? What would that really look like? What would it look like to see God's seventh month objectives completed and us have a part in that? Him allow us and use us like the military force that he desires us to be. I could tell you what it would look like. I have an idea about it because the Apostle John, he saw it. He understood what it was like. Look at this slide to see what that would look like. Revelation 10 and verse 7 says, But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished. Just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. See, church, the Apostle John saw the outcome of God's seventh month objective. When we rededicate, when we recommit, and we reconsecrate to these purposes, the very mystery of God will be accomplished. Is anybody interested in seeing the mystery of God accomplished? Yes. It starts with us in our homes, then us in this church, and then the way that our church operates on that map. Look at Revelation 15, 8 on the slide. And the temple was filled with smoke. Huh. Another temple filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. 
See, like so many times before, his glory cloud will fill the temple that is his body. You didn't catch that yet. We're going to just try it again. See, here, like so many times before, his glory cloud will fill the temple that is his body. You you should be thinking of 1 Peter 2. When you're being like living stones, you're being built together. You're being put together. Why? So you could become the very holy priesthood of God. And that requires an ongoing filling of his spirit. Who is the body of Messiah? Who is the body of Messiah? If you want the mystery of God to be accomplished, then his glory cloud has to fill you as his temple. He has to complete his objectives and he does it through you. And he does this by filling you again and again and again. We're not just asking for him to overshadow us a single time, but that we might stay under the shadow of his spirit with being filled constantly with his power. Look at Revelation 16. It says this, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumbles, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Pastor Matt asked, what would our church look like if we rededicated, if we recommitted and reconsecrated to God's purpose in our homes, in this church and in the world? The answer to that great question is, it would look like Mystery Babylon drinking the cup of his wrath and falling forever. If you can get thirsty for the Spirit of God now then we can complete this task. If you are not thirsty for the Spirit of God now, you will get to drink the cup of His wrath as Mystery Babylon. The Bible really puts it that simply. You share His cup or the whore's cup. You are a bride or you are a beastly thing. You are called to be the body of Messiah. You are called to be priest within your home. You are called to connect to every other member in this body as a priest. And then some priests are a gift to you to help you learn God's objectives. Then we together, along with other churches that are Christ, we reconsecrate this globe for our Father. Look, as we come to a close here, Hebrews 6 through 8. They're all describing our King Jesus as the high priest. You know what? It's not just the high priest, though. It's the high priest's activities during the seventh month to achieve the reconsecration of this world unto God. Clearly, we cannot read Hebrews 6 through 8 with the five minutes that are remaining. So we're going to pick up in chapter 7. Think high priest during... Yom Teruah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. The seventh month objective. Now there have been many of those priests. 
since death prevented them from continuing in office. You remember Solomon as king and the high priest serving alongside him. They both died without completing God's seventh month objective. They were a shadow of something that was coming, but they died. That's not a problem that Jesus has. Look at verse 24. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Do you want to be the permanent priesthood? Are you satisfied with being a part-time priesthood? A priesthood on Sunday. A priesthood on Wednesday. A priesthood when mom is looking. He lives forever. And he has a permanent priesthood. There are a lot of ways you can read that sentence. His priesthood is forever. And the only priests that he actually possesses are the ones that are permanent. That really ought to wake a few of you up in here that I don't think qualify for part-time priesthood. Not of your homes, not, not in this body, and certainly not in the world. You better get hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Because if you can't do it in your home and can't do it in here, then we know it's not being done out there. We're a gift to each other to remind each other of these things. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely, not partially, completely save those who come to God through him. Because he always lives to intercede for them. Our king and our high priest has neither failed nor died. And he is calling us to take up our priestly positions within his permanent priesthood. Because he wants to reconsecrate this globe. Verse 26. Such a high priest meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day by day, first for his own sins, then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. Now, if you haven't grabbed hold of this from the beginning of the message till now, the writer of Hebrews is commenting on the seventh month objective of Yom Teruah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. They express what God wants to do through Jesus to the whole globe, but started with him. Other kings and high priests were flawed and died, but ours is neither flawed nor can he die. His exalted higher than all the heavens. And what does Hebrews say that he's doing for you at this very moment? He's interceding for you to take up your position as priest in your home. He's interceding for you to take up your position as a priest within this body. He's interceding for you to become a part of the corporate body of Messiah that is a priest to reconsecrate the world. This is what Jesus makes intercession for. The trumpet is sounding. Atonement is available. Sukkot is about the salvation of the world. But it starts with what you're doing in your home, what you're doing in here, before you ever get to the world. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, 
But the oath, which came after the law, appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. I love this verse because it clears up everything. The point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord and not by man. Church, it is time for us to cultivate an earthly passion that will be met with a heavenly fire. Church, it is time for us to take up our positions so that we can be overshadowed with the miraculous power of God. It is time for us to rededicate the priesthood of our homes. It is time for us to recommit to our position in this church as a priesthood. It is time to aim at God's objective, the reconsecration of the world. Look, the mere thought of this, as you're hearing it, the impossible nature of that objective, it ought to cause something in you. You to hunger and thirst for his help. For you to get thirsty for his spirit to fill you in new ways. And he has promised he will do just that. If any man thirst, let him come and drink of me. And out of his own belly will flow rivers of living water. This was not just a charismatic or Pentecostal experience. It is the fuel for God's objective for your service in the world. At this altar, some of you need to rededicate to your own home. You're called to be priest. Daddy, you are a priest to mama. Mama, you are a priest to your children. Older siblings, you are a priest to your younger siblings. If you're bottom on the totem pole, you're a priest to the family dog. Everybody starts in the military as a private. But you move through the ranks, becoming more and more responsible for others. That's what's happening here. We're responsible for each other. It starts in your own house. At this altar, some of you must recommit to being developed. Say, I want to be developed. Being developed as a priest by the priesthood in this house. If you just attend church here, you're missing the point. If you just show up here and throw money in that box, you are wasting your time and ours. You won't find a church anywhere that will tell you the truth about that. But I could care less about gathering people who pay. We need a priesthood in this house. Not just priests and congregants, a priesthood where our job is to help you be the priest that you're called to be. Look, if you find that insulting, let me just be very honest with you. I'm insulted that you find it insulting. It's the very purpose of God. This is not a movie theater. You don't show up, pay your price of admission, and come and get entertained. This is a place of preparation for God's objectives. Some of you really need to recommit to that. This has become for you a dating center. This has become for you a fellowship center. This has become for you a place where you meet familial obligations by just putting your butt in the seats for a little while. 
I want to tell you that is worthless service before God. And he will burn it with fire, no matter what you think about it. Loyalty to him is the only thing that makes your sacrifice acceptable. And if you can't get this right, then you're really just wasting your religious fig leaves. At this altar, some of you are going to have to cry out. I'll be one of them. For his Holy Spirit to empower us unto his seventh month objective because we have lost focus. We thought that it was about obtaining a house or passing a test or getting past the latest medical problem. No, we live for one reason. To become priest in the corporate body of Messiah and that body saves the world. His spirit will remind us of that if we will thirst and drink deeply. Look, if that doesn't interest you, I want to just help you go ahead and go to hell because in the millennial reign of God all we will be doing is practicing Sukkot for a thousand years so you will not like what we do then if you don't like what we're talking about now and aren't thirsty for it this is what the plan of God is about I'm going to pray and the altars will be open. Father, we give you this time for the rededication of our priesthood in every area. Lord, we ask you cultivate in us a thirst for your spirit and a hunger for righteousness. Come and do your work.